Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft here with Sarah Masaryk, and Sarah Kim and Tanya Arnold are with us today to talk about books. What else would we talk about, Diane, in our reading life? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, truly, we do talk about a lot of stuff. But in this segment, we try to keep it about the books. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Welcome back, friends. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to go last, but I'm just going to tell everybody and tease everybody that I have a follow-up from last month, and I can't forget to do that. Ah, Mm -hmm. okay. We'll keep you you on track. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Tanya, what are you reading this month? Well, I have a couple thoughts, and I don't mean to be controversial (laughs) or bring anything (laughs) onto our podcast that's controversial, but um, we have an author that we have on BiblioGuides. It's a modern author, and I love looking for YA books that I think would be good for teenagers, and I think there are a lot of modern day books that Mm -hmm. just aren't. And by modern day, I'd say starting in the mid-60s, we started seeing some changes. (laughs) That's 40 years, really, right? (laughs) Yeah. And this particular author, I've read a few of her books, and I just realized that she's written a couple more that I wasn't aware of. One is about World War I, and it looks like she has one about the Titanic, but my library doesn't have that one yet. And at the same time, so I thought, I'm going to go check this one out. Her name is Jennifer Nielsen. She's written some fantasy books that I have not read, but I love historical fiction, especially for the YA age group. And she had one called Words on Fire that I really liked. It was about, it's set in the late 19th century and it's the invasion of Russia into Lithuania. And it's showing how the Lithuanian people tried to save their culture, specifically the books and the smuggling that was occurring. And then I read Rescue and Resistance. Resistance takes place during World War II in Poland during the Warsaw Ghettos. And it really focuses, her writings focus on a lot of really true events. So you have these fictionalized characters that are being immersed into real events and oftentimes a lot of real Mm -hmm. people and how things went down. And then Rescue takes place also during World War II. Um, and I believe it's kind of like a spy book. And I haven't read A Night Divided, which I think is about the oh. Berlin Wall. Darn. Yeah, I want we to. We need these. So <laughs> I have – so so I really, really yeah. love them. I think there's so much historical information. I think they're great living mm-hmm. books. I've seen complaints that people don't think that the writing is a high level of writing. And I, I don't know. I mean, they're not adult-level books. So they're not, you know, some historian writing these stories, right? But they're really engaging and I really learned a lot and the characters are really Hmm. relatable. And I I just think they're great for teens and like junior high level kids. So I checked out Lines of Courage, which is set, it opens in uh, Sarajevo, 1914. So she's exploring World War I. And she has characters from a lot of different countries and a lot of different backgrounds. And she's going to try to show you the pieces from all these different countries of kind of how did World War yeah. I happen? And I think a lot of us don't know in our education. We don't know. We have no clue. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. So I'm really excited. And then she has one for Titanic. So I just find it to be fascinating to think about. There was a time before about 1965 where YA was not a genre. Right. There were children's books and there were adult books. And YA started being a thing in the 60s. And here's the controversial thing that I don't necessarily (laughs) want to bring in and have this convoluted conversation, but it's thought provoking to me because the Judy Blue movie was released about, oh, what's the book? Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Margaret. Mm -hmm. Did you guys read that? No, because I was told that it was deeply offensive. So I stayed away from it. I mean, I haven't read any Judy Bloom since sixth grade. Yeah, so I've never read it either. And I, Sarah, Kim, and I were discussing it. And I don't think we were trying to remember. Neither one of us read it, but we must have had friends mm. who read it because we remember the chant. What chant? We must, we must, we must increase our bust. Oh, oh yeah. Remember oh, I remember that? hearing it, but I didn't know where it came from. 
It comes from oh, that book. Wow. I think it probably and fell so, for me in a time where it, it I was right between too young and too old yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think for me, I I remember just distinctly feeling like the whole thing was dumb. That's how I, I felt. I don't know when it came out, but I don't remember feeling like it was anything that was going to be relatable for me. I must have had friends that read it, but... I was never drawn yeah, to it. Yeah, and it's crazy because I read Sweet Valley Twins and Babysitter's Club. Right. Oh, like goodness. total trash. <laughs> oh, did I? Oh, Sweet, Sweet Valley, Valley Twins. twins. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I always oh. wanted to be a twin. I always wanted to have twins. I was totally obsessed with twins. Anyway, um, I remember, though, a librarian steering me away from Judy Bloom entirely. And then it, so, so then sadly, tragically, in my mind, I conflated Judy Bloom and Beverly Cleary. And it wasn't until I was a mom and I was like, oh, Beverly Cleary, isn't she in that group of like feminist writers who really teased out stupid issues and empowered girls into nonsense? And everybody's like, no, <laughs> Beverly Cleary is amazing. And so I read Ramona and I know Ramona is very controversial, actually, in Potato Peel Pie. There are the lovers and the haters. I fall into the camp of the lovers. I'm sorry. I do. Yes, she's a brat. And she's a loving, endearing, real-to-life brat. <laughs> so I'm a big fan of Beverly Cleary. But um, I remember a librarian just telling me, no, you don't want to read Judy Bloom," And I took her word for it. Yeah, so that's that's really interesting because I think I just naturally didn't want to. I've also never read Beverly Cleary. And I started reading one to Ava and I oh, really I wouldn't, hated don't, it. Not as a read-aloud. Don't do it as – no. <laughs> Beverly Cleary, well, they read it on their own or the audio – the audio is so good. Well, I'm going to have to read some further. I know, Sarah Kim, what are the ones that you love that were Cleary? Yeah, I I really love the Henry book. Me too. Mm-hmm. And I like Ramona as well. Mm-hmm. But I think it helps to read the first one, which is less common with her older sister. So you get her perspective and then you, and you start to really dislike Ramona a lot. Mm-hmm. And then you read the Ramona book and you realize why she's acting the way she yes. is and you just feel a little bit more sympathy for her and so I really like that whole dynamic I, I think it's helpful for kids to see the two perspectives and and Ramona and Beezus really do have a great relationship when it's all said and done and I have to say I think the new Ramona movie is absolutely worthwhile did you ever watch it Sarah hmm no, I haven't seen it. It's marvelously done. And I found myself rooting for the mom and rooting for the dad and rooting for Ramona, rooting for Henry and rooting for Basis. It just, and it was a big, messy, happy, chaotic family dynamic that resolves in just a very authentic American, real to life kind of way. And I think the movie does great honor to the books. And so I feel like the movie could be a way in. If you watch the movie, and we used to watch it as a family movie night, like once a year, because it's so funny and it's clean and it's just charming in its own way. And so then if you have any sibling tension in your household, I feel like that movie and those books just sort of give vent to that in a healthy way because it always resolves correctly. (laughs) So Diane, do you like Beverly Cleary? I read Ramona the Pest when I was little and loved Mm -hmm. it. And then I looked (laughs) at the shelf of Cleary books and went, oh, do I have to read all of those? And that was the last one I ever did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I respect all of you here. And I read this uh, picture book biography about Beverly Cleary that just Mm -hmm. won my heart. But so far what I've seen, I'm really not impressed. So... (laughs) I'm going to read them, but I have a feeling that I'm going to end up on the opposite side of the table from everyone totally on this okay. one. So we'll see. Well, read um, Ramona the Pest or, or one of those early ones to yourself. With, yes. That's exactly what I was going to say, Diane. Read Ramona and Beezus. That's the first one. And put yourself in their shoes. Don't read it as, as a mom, does this work for my kid? <laughs> no. Read it as, <laughs> read it as the six-year-old self. That would have delighted in this book. And then know, and, and, and read Henry. Read one Henry because she does boys really, really well. And then see. Well, I started with Ralph and the motorcycle and I thought it was stupid. Oh, yeah. Ralph is dumb. I'm not, I'm not. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was reading it aloud and I also I just I was bored yes. with it. Yes. And I really love so many things that are for children and I was just bored spitless from it. I could not now, read it. My any boys so, my boys couldn't so. stop <laughs> laughing with Ralph. Like when I was buying when I was buying oh. Beverly Cleary in library bind for our library because the paperbacks will never hold up because they're that popular. The boys were like, you have to get Ralph. I'm like, really? Like, I just don't care about Ralph. But Henry and Henry and Risby, I love those. So I bought Ralph in library mind, but whatever. <laughs> okay, so that's going to be on my my future to-do list is I'm going to give Cleary a grace. little bit more of grace. A mm-hmm. grace. Yes. So back mm-hmm. to Judy Bloom. So the movie came out. I had not read the book. I didn't watch the movie. Don't care. But I had a dear friend who sent me an article and I read it. I sent it to Sarah Kim. I'm going to send it to both of you because I've just been chewing mm. on it uh, for maybe a week or so. It's called The Age of Adolescence, oh. Judy Bloom and the Eternal Young Adult. And one of the things they talk about is in the 60s, we started having this shift from children's books to more of a distinction between children's books and YA books. And we started having those coming mm-hmm. of age, which were very much different from the coming of age that we would have traditionally thought of, like right. Little Women Pollyanna. or um, Anna Green, Anna Green Pollyanna Gables. or Anna right. Green Gables. Mm-hmm. And what, what I loved is the way this article articulated things that I felt but had never actually been able to put into mm-hmm. words myself. So we love Anne and we love Joe March because we recognize they're going through adolescence, but there's always this Grace idea of who they're becoming like you're moving to adulthood by the time we got into the 60s we end up having these stories from judy bloom and what this author starts to articulate is that we end up keeping our teenagers in this eternal youth where they're never growing towards something and that adolescence that they articulate even though everyone's saying oh i relate to this it's not actually a real adolescence It's actually the way the author wishes adolescence would have right. been for them or information they wish they would have received or that they think should mm-hmm. be received. And it was also partly remove the parent from the mm-hmm. conversation and give children information. And I, I, of course, think there are some scary things about puberty and growing up that it would be nice if every child had a loving yes. mentor and a loving parent that was walking them through that. And I think a lot of us yes. maybe didn't. I think the way I talk to my children and information I provide to them. I'm always sharing with Sarah Kim the kinds of conversations I have with my children. And I think sometimes she's like, wow, I never would have talked to my parents about that. And I said, me either. (laughs) Me either. But I don't, you know, I'm removing embarrassment or shame from conversations where there shouldn't be embarrassment and shame. But I'm just looking at how culturally these YA books aren't great for our kids. And this article just articulated that so well. And I'm looking for, doesn't every parent also want to find some modern day books that their kids can be reading with their peers? Like if you're a homeschooler and your kids have friends with people who are public schooled and you want to find a connection point that they, that they can connect on, we would like to find some books that they could read together and that you could feel comfortable that aren't these weird coming of age books that don't actually help our youth become the people we want them to become. Keeper of the Lost like, Cities that goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and degrades. And degrades. Exactly. Right. And mm-hmm. ends up ends up being it's just a marketing right. scheme and not truly about the art or right. the story. So I'm coming back around to Jennifer Nielsen and I just love these historical fiction books and I'm kind of excited about the one I'm reading. And I just think if you're looking as a mom for some fun books that your kids could relate with their peers on and that everybody could enjoy and they can learn together that are exciting. And also they put the youth kind of at the center. And so far I haven't even seen anywhere it's the parents are stupid or, you know, keep secrets from adults. I haven't seen things like that. It's just these real stories set in time periods that are usually exciting world war one and world war two that are fun. And I just want to clarify, I have not read the fantasy books that she's written. Liv Conroy on our team has, and she really enjoyed them. So I want to at some point because that's another genre that I think kids really tend to love nowadays. And it'd be nice to know, but it's her historical fiction that I personally am finding so enjoyable. So I just started Lines of Courage and I just want to share from the dust jacket. It has a boy from Austria, Hungary, and it says he longs for the bravery to resist Jewish deportations before his own family can be taken. And then Kara from Britain dreams of someday 
earning her Red Cross pin and working as a nurse. Juliette of France hopes her family can remain knitted together. Elsa from Germany hopes her homing pigeon might one day bring her a friend from amidst the chaos. And Dimitri of Russia wants only to survive the front where he's been sent to fight with no weapon. So she's, does that not sound incredible? So you have all of these different teenagers from different countries living in a very different, all kind of coming together because World War One is raging, but they all have these different backgrounds and experiences that they're going to be going through. And she's kind of trying to just delve into World War From these one. different vantage points. So if you were studying yeah. modern history, I think this could be a great one for modern history this next mm, year nice. too. So, but I haven't finished it. I'm right. working on it. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. And I'm going to send you guys the link to the awesome. article because I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, on that's it. awesome. I like that. Sounds Don't good. you think that the term coming of age is kind of telling if you think about what you just said, that children, they're coming of age where mm-hmm. at 16, you get a driver's license. At 18, you can do certain things. And at 21, you can drink and smoke or whatever your state says. But it's not coming of maturity. No, exactly. It's not coming of mm-hmm. virtue. It's right. just age. You Numerical you reach that age where you can do whatever you want. As opposed to, I think age used to mean something else. Like you think about mm-hmm. ages of mm-hmm. time, you know, an age signified something beyond the number, but we've reduced it down to the number that here's mm-hmm. a, here's a numerical milestone. Yeah. And it's interesting because we, you know, I don't know what the drive, I think driving laws are different in every state. In ours, um, teenagers, you have to be 16 to have your license, 15, you begin that process. But Michael turned 16 and we haven't even considered driving lessons yet. We're not letting Michael drive until he's 18 because, uh, you know, Greg's a high school administrator. I'm a former high school teacher. We've seen a lot of teenagers and we have a, a sense that that frontal cortex just needs a little bit more time <laughs> to develop. And so, I think even it's the, the, the numerical value that we assign to these things is strange, you know, and in, in some cases outmoded. Yeah. And I think some of these coming of age books that are these more modern ones are focusing on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They're not focusing on what is actually going to help your child develop into the person that God intended them to be. Amen. It's very self-centered. Mm-hmm. It's not focused on them growing up figuring out who they are and how they can serve in the world. It's putting the focus on them and what they're going through and their feelings and their experiences. And Amen. It just feels very self-centered. And it's a motive. Like you said, their feelings. It's all about their feelings. And feelings are unreliable witnesses, but we don't teach them that. We let them indulge their feelings, which is the worst possible thing, I think. Well, you two, you hear two things all the time now. One is follow your heart, yeah. which is about the dumbest thing you could do mm-hmm. and the other one is how kids are smarter than their parents and in the end the parents will realize that that's the theme of a lot of those stories both of which are themes that that hideous strength grapples with by the way we were all reading as <laughs> when we're recording this we are all reading that hideous strength we're getting ready for our third ransom trilogy book club and i just as you say that diane i'm like huh oh yeah if jane followed her heart oh <laughs> sometimes we kind of wonder how why is our culture where we're currently at and if you start to look to the 1960s oftentimes the shifts that were happening in the 1960s was kind of like that when you look at a train and you think about Mm -hmm. the switch there was there was a switch in the 1960s culturally and what I thought was fascinating about this article is that there was something that happened in the 1960s that got us on this track of these YA coming of age books. And what it said was that in a feature essay in the New York times in 1969, George Woods, its children's book editor issued a call for a more authentic or realistic approach to adolescent books. One that reflected the quote real rhythm of life as he believed teenagers experienced it. And then quote, it comes to them hot and strong, uninhibited, expressing their moods and longings. It moves Sometimes it's tender, sad, a lamentation. Then it's wild and irresponsible. Sometimes contemptuous of tradition. Sometimes it goes nowhere as if it were waiting, just as they themselves often wait for what's going to happen next. And what we need are books to match their music. Books that handle life's depths and despairs, its joys and exaltations too. What's needed is to pick up the beat and tempo of life as it's known to them. End quote. And I thought, Mm -hmm. is it? Is that what teenagers need? 
And so what I find really interesting about that is that there's an episode that we hope to do very soon on Nancy Drew. We want we want to talk about that book, Girl Sleuth, that you recommended, Tanya. So our listeners mm-hmm. should know that, that that's something that's in the works. But what's fascinating to me is that Nancy Drew was virtually unchanged. She was who she was for several decades. She just, she never got older. She she never kissed a boy. Her romance never got serious. She just had her little sportster and she just solved her little mysteries. She had a great relationship with her dad. It was charming. The writing was elegant. There was just a lot more books. Every year there were more books, but she was unchanged. But the masses were calling for a, a, a wonderful Nancy, a new Nancy, a younger Nancy that actually was older, but behaved in a more adolescent way. And so then in 1958, Grosset and Dunlap put their foot down and said, Nancy will be revised. And so many of us read the, the revised Nancy Drew books, and we don't have the same affection for Nancy that our mothers did because, or our grandmothers did, because we didn't read her in her pure wholesome perennial self. And what's fascinating to me is they changed her. They they made Saturday Night Live skits out of her. There was a version of her in Playboy magazine. All the trash came in with that. And Nancy is not thriving. But Nancy of the old Nancy, she was depression proof. During the Great Depression, Nancy Drew books were still selling like crazy. The old Nancy who had timeless values, wholesome virtues, that was a Nancy that teens really needed and wanted. This new, modern Nancy, not so cool at all. I find that just fascinating. Mm -hmm. And that was 1958, which is when a lot of these, some of these ideas would have been trickling and starting to make the changes and then full-blown by the 1960s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm thought-provoking. So that's what I've been reading, articles and thinking about YA books and reading C.S. Lewis to prepare (laughs) for our next podcast. And that's about it. (laughs) Well, let's be fair. That hideous strength is a lot and it's heavy. So I think all of us are like, Mm -hmm. wait, what else am I reading right now? Because I feel like all I'm reading is Lewis. (laughs) Sarah, what about you? Other than that hideous strength, what are you reading? Not a whole lot. I started reading uh, When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit by Judith her and pre-reading it for next year it'll be one of Quanu's rereads so it's another world war ii historical fiction written in 1971 what do you think of it um, i've always seen it but i've i've never read it yeah i haven't gotten too far maybe three or four chapters i really like it so far though it's really engaging mm-hmm. it takes place in 1933 and the little girl's nine and she's jewish mm-hmm. and lives in germany and her father's famous writer And so they decide very early on to leave the country. And so I think most of the book, I'm just at the point where she's about to leave. Her father's already left and she's going with her brother and her mother. Um, But I think most of the book is about her family traveling from Switzerland to France. And then finally they end up in England and her just kind of grappling with like, we thought we were just going for maybe a few months and then we would come back and they're not going back. And so she leaves her stuffed pink rabbit who's been her stuffed animal since she was a little girl Mm -hmm. um I just read the point where she's like should I bring my rabbit or should I bring you know my new stuffed dog that I just got that I hadn't had a chance to play with very much yet so she decides to bring I think it was a dog and you're just thinking like you're not going back don't leave that poor rabbit (laughs) I will let you know next month what I think when I'm done it because like I said I just kind of started it marvelous um the only other thing I wanted to maybe mention was I listened to Astrophysics for People in a Hurry <laughs> <laughs> um, by Neil deGrasse Tyson. I actually, the there's the young people version. They're both about the same length. And the young people version is free on Audible if you have a subscription and the other one wasn't. So I listened to the original first and it was kind of hard to follow. Uh-huh. And I thought the two chapters in the middle of the book on dark matter and dark energy were really interesting. You have no idea what those things are. Maybe get the young adult version that's free if you have an Audible (laughs) subscription and check out those two chapters. (laughs) When I listen to the young people version, it's definitely, it's really interesting because like I said, it's about the same length, but it's written completely differently. Like it's like writing to students. So the text is like completely rewritten as if he's talking to young people. 
a young person. Cool. Very cool. And his analogies and everything are different, you know, like changing them to like speak to like a young person's experience. So I thought that was interesting. It was easier to follow along. He definitely comes from a very scientific mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wouldn't hand this to a child if you're a Christian parent and you have any concerns at all about like sharing modern day scientific perspective of the universe yeah. where there is no God. And he's actually um, anti-theist. Like he he's anti-Christian in his, in his personal he, profession. Yeah. So I looked that up. He, he refuses to take on the label of atheist. Mm-hmm. I think he says he's an agnostic, but I think that's because he assumes like taking on the label of an atheist comes off with its own sort of religious perspective right. in a way. See, he seems almost uninterested in having discussions about anything that are not 100% science. Right, right. And to be an atheist is really like a philosophical position versus he's like passively, don't really care, doesn't affect me. Yeah, exactly. Except that I think Christianity is nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's very clear. And I think that came through, especially like in his last couple of chapters and his conclusion. Like the whole first part is about the beginning of the universe, the Big Bang, yeah. like all of that. And then the ending part is kind of a conclusion that was I felt was very much anti-Christian. So fascinating. Again, I read it for interest in like, I like to know what the latest science yeah. is. And I think astrophysics sounded interesting. It was for people in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. <laughs> so like I said, if you're if you have a, a child who's interested in it or you're interested in it, I think, like I said, those two middle chapters on dark energy and dark matter were were pretty fascinating. Um, oh, Michael. So I would recommend those two chapters. Michael will <laughs> eat that up. <laughs> we watched The Great Escape last night for the first time. My children saw The Great Escape. And I remember never really knowing if it was a true story or not. But of course, now we have the internet, so I could search that. And sure enough, it's totally based on a true story. And so as we're watching this, I just looked at Michael and said, I need to get you the book. He said, yes, you do. <laughs> So I'm like, okay, I need to get Michael The Great Escape. And sounds like I also need to get him astrophysics for people in a hurry. That's good. That'll help take care of his reading for some of the summer. So thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fascinating, too, that you're saying that the Young Readers Edition was basically completely rewritten mm-hmm. because that doesn't seem – that's unusual, I think. Oftentimes, they're just abridged and highly edited. I, yeah down to be more uh, approachable a lot of the young readers I think books. that happened with um hidden figures I can't remember Michael read both he hated one and loved the other and I don't remember which way it went one he thought was really dull and the other one he thought was gripping okay you have to ask him and let me know because that's also on my list for next year there's an army of kids running down the stairs what uh, so Michael hated the young reader's version of Hidden Figures. He thought it was really dull and really thin, but he loved the movie. So when I gave him the regular one, he thought, oh, no, this one was really excellent. He thought that the the adult version was excellent. And I feel like there's another one that came out at the same time that was the same. I can't remember. But anyway, so yeah, so Hidden Figures, Michael says, don't waste your time on the young reader's edition. Okay. So he felt like it was kind of dumbed yeah. down then. And, and not even written yeah, the same at all. Like I said, well, is it just a bridge? He's like, no, oh. no, no. It's like not the same at all. Like a, almost like a different author. Hmm. Interesting. That is fascinating because here you're saying the opposite, Sarah. That it's the young readers. So what is a mom to do? Do we have to preview everything? <laughs> well, and I'd be curious what he thinks because I'm not entirely sure if he would relate to all of the analogies that he used. Because like I said, they're very much he's writing as if you know a public school student I would say so it would be interesting I just found it easier to comprehend right absolutely yeah absolutely cool anything else Sarah I don't think so I am really loving that hideous (laughs) (laughs) that's my favorite reading so far me too (laughs) I cannot wait for this book club so friends I'll just let you in on a little secret we have a chat for our book club, you know, it's supposed to just be for logistics. Like, are we meeting at this time or this time, you know, kind of thing. And we're really, we are really, really good about not pre-talking. <laughs> but this one, we're pre-talking. <laughs> we keep saying, okay, we can't really have this conversation yet, but. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to this one quite a bit. Well, with some of that, I'm just thinking there's no way that we're going to get all this in. So we might as well. 
Right. That's what I was thinking, too. Because <laughs> we have lots to say, don't we, Diane? Mm-hmm. We do. And there's just a lot to it. It's deep. Really? Deep and complicated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Diane, what about you? Other than that hideous strength, what are you reading right now? Well, <laughs> not much because there's just been a lot of other stuff going on. Um, I'm working on a project with Wednesday Wars, so I'm going back through that again. Yay! And what I will say about that one is that the first time I read it, I was it was just kind of, uh, mm-hmm. are we almost through the year yet? I got to January <laughs> and had to take a break. He, it's written by, you know, month by month about this, the um, narrator's seventh grade year. And I don't want to be in junior high again. <laughs> nope. I don't, I didn't like the 60s the first time. You know, I, I don't want to, it's like they're, they're cool now because it's, oh, way back then. And to me, it's like, no, I, I can see the clothes. I can hear the music. I don't like this. Right. Um, but like I said, working on a project and so going back through it and some of it is really, really funny. And, um, the second time through is better, yes. but then trying to read that I picked up that hideous strength and, and I'm looking at it going, uh, <laughs> I don't want to read this again either. <laughs> so now, but now I'm trying to finish Wednesday Wars and getting into hideous strength and going, I just want to sit down and finish this all at once. Yes. <laughs> and I can't because I have responsibilities. <laughs> you mean you have to do real life too? You can't just sit and read? I do. What's I, wrong with your life? <laughs> I know it's shocking because, you know, I should be old and retired and doing whatever I want to do. <laughs> No, you're having fun doing this. <laughs> so the fun thing for this month was that I ha- there, there's a book called Blitz, The Story of a Fire Horse by Hetty Burlingame Beatty. And that was one of my, like, another scholastic book from when I was uh-huh. in grade school. Because I probably mm-hmm. got all the animal books they had. <laughs> and I remember just really liking it. And I think that I still have that original book in my house somewhere. But one reason I was having a hard time finding it was because I thought his name was Blaze. <laughs> because I'm thinking <laughs> Fire Billy Horse. Blaze. It's, yeah. well, it wasn't Billy and Blaze, but that's what you get if you search that. Right. So when I did find it, um, it was being reprinted. It wasn't as hard to find as I thought. And I read it again, like a lot of the other ones, to see, was it any good? Mm. And I can see why I liked it when I was young. Mm -hmm. It is a good story. Mm -hmm. There's a horse. He's born into a happy family and the people love him. But, you know, they've bred him to sell. Mm -hmm. So they do. And he gets sold to somebody who's very good to him. And he becomes a fire horse and he's excellent at it. He loves it. He's in a serious accident that kills his partner. Mm-hmm. And so he's damaged. And mm-hmm. the his owner is also really hurt. So he can't keep this horse that's no good for work anymore. So he gets sold to somebody very cheaply. And the guy, of course, isn't good to him because he was a cheap horse. And he just is going to work him into the ground like he did the last horse. and. um when Blitz becomes useless to him, he tries to go sell him at the fair and nobody wants him because they can see he's no good. So a, a, a boy buys him mm. and takes very good care of him and brings him back to health and it ends all happy and he saves the day. And uh, so I can see why, yes, I would have loved that story. It's not something like when you read Black Stallion, I think you, you go, that's a classic. Right, right, right. This is just a really good horse story. And I think it would be, for for kids who love horses, all the right things happen. It -hmm. comes out well. There's Mm -hmm. danger, there's death, but it's not explicit or gory. And uh, you might cry, you know, Mm -hmm. if you care about animals, but it's not going to break your heart because it all does come out okay in the end. So... I'm not going to say everyone rush out and buy this book, but I am going to say that it was enjoyable to have that little break in between some more heavy stuff this month mm-hmm. with not just heavy reading, but, you know, he- heavy activities and uh, just, it was nice. 
Well, and that book is at a really nice reading level, too. So it's quite yes. accessible for the middle school crowd, upper, upper elementary, middle school, and it has substance to it. So it's not like you're feeding them twaddle. It's a, it's a good little story for that kind of reader who's developing stamina. Is that right? Yes, I would say that. and it, and it, But it isn't at too low a level for pretty much anyone to enjoy. Anybody. Right. Yeah. The, what I noticed about it, which would make it a little bit less enjoyable, uh, enjoyable for older readers and more experienced readers is that it moves very quickly from the bad mm-hmm. thing to the good thing, to the bad thing, to the good thing. And there's not a whole lot in between, but that's right. okay for the age that it's intended. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just going to say, I had a friend who was looking for book recommendations. She had a daughter who was 10, mm. 11 years old, and she just wanted a lot of horse stories and right. dog stories. And you just can't seem to go no. wrong with those, but it's hard when you can only think of three horse stories, right? And so to be able to curate a list, a list mm-hmm. of of good books that you can just say for a reader who's just reading through so <laughs> much and you would just like to have more horse and dog stories, which kids, a lot of kids yes. seem to really love. It's nice to have ones like this. So, Diane, I know that this book has gone in and out of print. Are you aware? Is it in print right now? I got mine on Amazon. It's published by Wildside Press. So I think that because it is, that now it's very readily available. I I didn't realize it was out of print. Mm -hmm. So when I was looking at it before, that's probably why it was so hard for me to find, besides having the wrong name. (laughs) half the time. I don't know what I was searching, you know, 10 years ago when I was looking, I don't know what I thought it was, but I couldn't find it. And, and here it is back again. So I have the old scholastic Tanya found the old scholastic for me. So I have an old scholastic of it. I know, but I, it's not going to hold up in my library at all. So I am going to try to figure out how to bind things, but I thought you might, if I can't find mine, I might trade you. Yes. (laughs) So Diane, I, I, that's really good to know because I wanted to upgrade mine because I know that mine won't survive a library use. Mm-hmm. So back to the Wednesday Wars, I have wanted to read that book for quite a few years and I haven't. And so I plan on reading it when your project <laughs> comes to fruition so that I can kind of be in the know that I think Sarah Kim is planning on doing the same thing. We were talking about it. One of the things that you said that I loved was that you were getting bogged down with how it just feels like you're back in junior high. And so I was just curious, have you read the book, Everything Sad is Untrue? No. No. So everyone loves, well, I think there's people that don't like it, but there are a good majority of people really love the book. (laughs) Right. Oh, you didn't finish it? I felt the same way. I think it took me three quarters of the book where I thought, this is garbage. Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I, and I'm just like listening to a 13 year old boy, and I just literally cannot do it. And then he had there was some content where I was like, oh, and he's a boy of the 80s, so I especially mm-hmm. felt it. Right? I thought I just cannot mm-hmm. do this. And then at about the three quarter mark, the brilliance shows itself, and that's when I thought, oh, oh, I see what's happening here. And then it's it's really brilliant. Mm. But it made me think maybe Wednesday Wars is similar. I don't know. I haven't read it. But it it kind of sounds like the first time you were bogged down. Yeah, there were just some tedious things. There are some themes that run through it that I just got tired of them coming up. The rats. And it's a teenage <laughs> <laughs> It's a teenage boy. What's that? The rat. I just the keep rat, the rats. Rats yeah. and the cream puffs. Cream puffs. Can yeah. we drop the cream puffs? Can mm-hmm. we drop that? You know, mm-hmm. so and so is going to beat you up. I'm, you know, people keep threatening to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you know, it's almost mm-hmm. like beating the junior high experience to death. Yeah, and and that got a little bit so, tedious. But then the what what weaves through the whole thing is that he's having to spend Wednesday afternoons with his teacher learn, reading Shakespeare, and it's genius. And the way that yes, the way that works into his life and his vocabulary, and then in the end, um, how. It's just shown to be true after all these centuries. Shakespeare just is life. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think these feel like two books that I think moms should be more aware of and maybe even be kind of walked through because I only finished Everything Sad is Untrue because Liv on our team Mm. loved it. And I kept reading it thinking, what is going on? 
what on earth? And I kept thinking, I really like Liv. I really respect Liv. This is challenging everything I feel about her right now. (laughs) I'm going to tell her that. (laughs) Because I just kept thinking, why? I know her. And this just feels like I'm reading literally the... Yes, exactly. That's exactly the term. And then... So what you're saying, what happens with the Wednesday Wars is the teacher in Mm -hmm. Shakespeare. What happens here is his Mm. mother. There's something with his mother and it's so unbelievably beautiful Mm. that it almost, it just overcomes (laughs) the 13 year old aspect, that male (laughs) aspect that you just think, I can't read any more of this. And I think if more moms maybe even understood, I think some people probably have read it and maybe they weren't impacted quite that same way. But the story of his mom just, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? It just transformed your experience of the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just made it so beautiful. In fact, I went and found a video. I was, then I Googled him online and there's a little video that he did with his mom. And that video just also changed everything. Mm. And I thought that's, I just want every kid to have a relationship like that with their mom and also to see like to have a parent stand in the space the way she mm. did and what she, I don't know. I don't want to give anything away, but I thought it was epic. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good. But it it took a lot to overcome the whole – It kind of back to our YA conversation. I was thinking it's going to be one of those books again. And I just can't do it again. I can't do this perennial youth. There's no growth. There's no something so much bigger than this self-centric ideology right. that we're seeing. and. Everything sad is untrue overcame that. And what it sounds like is Wednesday Wars does too. One of the things that's interesting about it is that it's a modern book written about the 60s teenager coming of age kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. it's a look back at that rather than something that was written in the 60s and where they're still developing that. So he has a lot of insight, I think, into where it goes. Some of the things, yeah. So some of the things about Mm -hmm. the 60s coming of age books sort of get ironed out because what they aren't true anymore is that is that a good way to put it sarah um or we realized that that wasn't true well i i think i think what happens is because gary d schmidt is himself a mature adult he paints real adult characters who are worth paying attention to and i think few, so a few many, of them <laughs> a few a few right one in particular right like so one in yeah. particular um, the others have their foibles or their idiosyncrasies, and some are just plain bad. Um, but his teacher is a truly true person who is herself many has many layers. And so we are we are rooting for her as much as we're rooting for him throughout the book, not immediately because of course she's gonna kill him. that's what he thinks. <laughs> but she hates his guts. And she hates his guts, yeah. But um, and he's t- she's gonna take out a hit on him. <laughs> he's convinced of it. Uh, but by about November, we begin to think she's pretty marvelous, and then to know that she just gets more and more and more marvelous, especially as his other situations get harder and harder. So I think, like you're saying, like th- these are true things. And they're written from an adult who's not glorifying middle school, but rather understanding that middle school is a real thing that has to be gone through. And so as as mamas, we can feel safe doing this book with our kids because there is a noble adult who is the hero of the story as much as Holling is. And we can watch her work her magic. It's really obvious she's being underutilized at the school that she's teaching at. Her genius comes <laughs> out in Shakespeare and track and field. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you should finish Everything Sad is Untruth and so. Sarah, because I think these books echo each other a little that bit. That would be cool. It just seems similar where he's writing it now, but it's about the 80s. But it's also you have some characters. The, I mean, I think the author has emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just put it out there. I think there's plenty of authors writing for young adults who are only at Amen. a teenage level. And that's right. what it feels like when you right. read the book. Versus authors. <laughs> Sarah's laughing at me right now. You guys cannot see her face and you can't hear her. But Sarah Kim is giggling at me <laughs> as I say that. Just boldly going to say it. 
<laughs> we just have people who are not helping our uh, young, uh, our youth become emotionally mature right. adults. But then you have these books where you're feeling like you're stuck in this teenage brain and then you redeem. Right. That's redeem. the word I'm trying to think mm-hmm. of. There is, there is a character. There is things that happen that redeem the book. And you see that this character is going to go mm-hmm. on to adulthood in some pretty powerful cool. ways. And I just think that's cool. Those are good stories. Those are good modern stories that our kids can can take away a lot. They're honest to their time, right? So that their kids, and and this is why we like Beverly Cleary, Tanya. (laughs) Well, let's let's go there. Okay. So, uh, am I right, Sarah Kim? This is why we like Beverly Cleary. She's writing true stories about the time and the and the age that's in that time. She's nodding. You can't see. Yeah, it it takes you back to that time when kids roamed free in the streets and played with their friends and vented for themselves. That's what my childhood was like. Mm. That's not what kids' childhoods are like anymore. No. So it kind of takes you back to that time and everything that went along with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no helicopter parents censoring every single word that's said or everything that's done. <laughs> I think the trend now in writing for young adults and 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 even younger kids is to. I don't even know if the authors believe this, but what's apparently selling is books that come down to the level of the children and have no intention of bringing them up. Mm-hmm. So, well, I've just been like going through the shelves of books and seeing that what's right out there with looking at me is a book called I Need a New Butt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's potty humor. Of course, that's all boys could actually appreciate. Right. Let's not give them the black stallion. That's yeah. too tough. But what we get in the Wednesday Wars is all of the jokes about the yellow feathered tights. But because he's playing Ariel <laughs> from the from the Tempest, so we get the, the the stupid boy humor. But let's remember he's playing Ariel in the Tempest, and he's reading and reciting Shakespeare. And when things are happening, he is spouting out Shakespearean quotes at the situation or at the other characters because he is being mm-hmm. elevated. Mm-hmm. He's being stretched and he's yes. growing. Yes. And it's hilarious because he just memorizes all of the curses first, which is, of course, what the boys would do. <laughs> they would memorize the curses and the jokes and they yeah. would end up getting if a I lot of truth thrown in. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I think that brings us to me. So my my in real life book club finally got done rereading the Brothers Karamazov, which is always I say finally because we we did it very slowly, um, and I'm very happy to be done with it. I'm very glad to have reread it, but I'm very happy to be done with it. It is a very very difficult book. It's difficult to understand. It's difficult to connect to, but yet it's also incredibly powerful. And I feel really well fed every time I read it. But now we're switching and uh, I'm delighted that we are starting Kristen Lavenstrader. It's one of my most favorite books of all time. It's in my top 10 list. And I'm excited about my group reading it, but I'm a little apprehensive because, you know, I love it. It's a Nobel Prize winning book in literature. So clearly it's a good book, but I'm nervous because, you know, what are they all going to think? And Greg sat down to read it this weekend and he said, oh, yeah, this is really good. This is way easier than the Brothers K. He said this one, it just like clips right along. It draws you right in. And I said, what do you think of Laverance? And he said, yeah, that's a guy I want to know better. Yes. So I'm very, very excited that we're going to be doing the first Kristen Lavenstrader book this summer. I wouldn't think of that necessarily as a book that a man would enjoy, but it was my father-in-law who told me to read it. Yes. And I hated it. And I read all three of them and I told him I didn't like it. And he said, well, there must have been something about it. You read all of it because that's not easy. (laughs) It's not. It's not. I, and it's interesting because I... I know how hard this first book is. This, for, for people who are thinking, oh, I've never read Kristen. Sarah's reading it. Maybe, maybe I want to try it. Let me just say, before you just jump into it, you do need to know that you are jumping into a really morally complex story. Do not mm-hmm. listen to the audio around children. There is a lot of uh, adult content in it, like a lot of it. And the whole first 
book is about Kristen's sin. So it's her fall from grace, her her um, the spoiling of Kristen, shall we say. And the first book of this three-book trilogy ends with Kristen in a near-death experience being offered redemption. But the the path there is pretty brutal. And you don't know for sure if she's going to survive. Obviously, she must because there's two more books. Um, but <laughs> when, when Grace breaks in at the very end of that book, it's, it's like, it, it, it's like Paul's conversion. It is so utterly transformational. And then she has two more books to sort of grapple with that and live that out in a system that she's built for herself that's totally corrupted. Right. Because even though she, even though she repents, there are consequences. Massive consequences that mm-hmm. just keep coming. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's, it is very much a story of this sin leads to generational problems. And mm-hmm. so it's a fascinating story, but grace wins and it wins big, but it's a, it's a painful process to get there. So, so that's what we're, that's what I'm starting right now. And, um, but I have to report back that not only did I pick up Dalmatians and begin it like immediately after last month's episode, <laughs> I loved it so much that we're doing a book club on it in my library in two weeks. <laughs> So I love Dalmatians. You all were so right. And I love, Diane, the other day you and I were talking and you just said, this is a book I wish everybody knew about. And I completely agree with you. This story is not the stupid, hokey Disney movie. It is such a such a wonderful story. Like uh, Tanya, I think mm-hmm. you're the one who said these people have a these dogs have a better marriage than most people do. <laughs> 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 oh, this story, mamas, I I implore you, check out our review. Check out Diane's review of Dalmatians and try to find a copy. Now, I will tell you, it's tricky because I bought multiple copies for my library, and only two of them were the right thing. So we will link. So the ones we know are correct. You want the Dodie Smith book. And there's a good chance you're going to have to get it from Thrift Books UK or something. Um, the You don't want anything that's been edited or um, you don't want to end up like I did with a picture book, which was not Disney, but definitely not the book. Like the puppies were having... Christmas celebration with Cruella. That was just bizarre. Um, So it's a little tricky to find the right book. But if you go to our website, we will link to the versions that we know. And I'm sure that you guys on BiblioGuides have that all explained. Mm -hmm. So we will link to BiblioGuides as well. Go look it up. Try to find it from your library. This is one worth buying. It really is, mamas. This This is one to go and get and read it by the campfire or something like that. You won't be sad. And it's an entire family engaging Amen. book. Yes. From the littlest to the oldest member of your family, even as a parent, it's so fun yeah, to read. It really is. <laughs> Nobody mm-hmm. in your house will be sad to hear this one. <laughs> Husbands. Yeah. Which is really saying something for a dog book. <laughs> well, you said earlier. Mm-hmm. At a children's book. <laughs> you said earlier, people like dog and horse books. Or was that Ta- Tanya said earlier? People like dog and horse books. We never yeah. outgrow that, I don't think. They do, but I think, you know, this one gets a bad rap because of the Disney movie. And yeah. so you think of it as this is a children's story about dogs, which probably most husbands are not going to go, hey, yes, let's read that together. And mm-hmm. it really is that good. Mm-hmm. And I think if you have a dog, <laughs> yes, <laughs> if you have a dog, it just comes yeah. to life. <laughs> yeah. Our dog right now, he rings, he's bell trained. He rings the bell to go out in the morning and then he sits on the porch in the sun and just barks <laughs> at nothing to no one. And after I read Dalmatians, oh. I just thought, I don't know who he's yeah. talking to. Maybe there's someone. And my husband claims, he's like, if you go out there and listen, there are other dogs barking right. blocks away. They're, They're talking. talking. And then the whole thing just comes to life. And I'm thinking, okay, well, they're communicating. The they're telegraph. All, they all are stuck in their little 
parameters that are fenced, <laughs> but they're talking. And sometimes I go out and I speak to him. I call him sir. Good sir. <laughs> this is unnecessary at this hour of the day. <laughs> It's Back the inside with you, because our neighbors, our neighbors <laughs> don't care who you're talking to. <laughs> Sunday morning at seven in the morning, they don't want to <laughs> hear it. <laughs> our dog Sam was so wonderful that we went and adopted his sister two years later. And when we moved to this new neighborhood, my neighbors fell in love with Rosie because she is just she is so soft and sweet and lovely. And so one of my neighbors went and adopted their cousin. And then we just adopted. So Cedar is um, their dog's full sister. And so they live like we live in the woods. So they live almost half a mile from us. But when Zoe is out talking, my dogs are talking back (laughs) and they all know who lives where. And there's other dogs in the neighborhood. And Rosie will go out at night and she's just barking at a neighbors that we barely know because they have two dogs and got to have the 8 p.m. conversation, just like in Dalmatians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why I think Dalmatians works because it's everything that a child wants to believe. And so do you still yes. as an adult. You haven't outgrown the idea that you want to walk away thinking that that is 100% I mean, come true. on. Right. These dogs yes. just communicated. They went and rescued <laughs> their children. They had this great adventure. And, and then also just the way that they speak about their pets, right? Oh, that the dogs own the humans. Yes. It's just Cedar takes me for a walk yeah. every day. She leashes me. <laughs> yes. She leashes me for my safety <laughs> so that I won't fall off a bridge. So. <laughs> but it's just too delightful. But none of it gets silly. And that's why adults right. can appreciate it is because a dog story where they do too many things that aren't doggish can be really mm-hmm. ridiculous and right. adults don't really appreciate it. But this one, they don't do very many things that a dog couldn't actually do if they understood English. Except the paw autographs. That one's weird. <laughs> the, when but they, they didn't write. They didn't have a pen. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, and we shouldn't talk about it. it we should have oh, a, this, a, whole a whole conversation about it. About but the toddler, <laughs> the toddler that can understand the dogs... <laughs> <laughs> so oh my gosh i thought that was the best so friends the bet the dogs can understand the toddler and the toddler can understand the dogs i thought yep yep that is true that's truth right there <laughs> so friends whether you like dalmatians or not there's more dalmatians coming just so you know <laughs> we have more to say um sarah really quick you said because you're reading yeah. Kristen lauren's yeah. daughter and you just made a comment that it was nobel prize winner do you find that Nobel Prize winners no. Rec- are oh, no? Because okay. <laughs> I read a Pulitzer Prize winner one time because it was a Pulitzer Prize winner, and then I was like, "Yeah, I was very, very disappointed." I mean, I don't think any of the awards have the credibility that they once did. I mean, look at the Newberry mm-hmm. or Caldecott; they're just not the same. Mm-hmm. Yours won in nineteen twenty-eight. The book I read the. It won a 1979 Pulitzer. I should have right. known. Huge distinction. Better. Right? Like, I really think that mm-hmm. those medals in the old days were worth something. I don't think they're worth anything anymore. So, yeah, that's how yeah. I feel too. It is. It really is. And the only reason why I do say it, because I say it all the time about Kristen, is because people are quick to write it off. And they think, you know, they just don't think it's going to be that great a book. So, because it's about a girl in Norway. So who cares? Uh, no. And, and what's really, I'll talk about this more as we read it more, but it's really fascinating because she's writing about Catholics and she was not Catholic when she wrote it, but she converted to Catholicism after writing it. So it's just sort of this fascinating, fascinating thing. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying it was a Nobel Prize winner worthy of your time because it was written during a time when the Nobel Prize maybe even had standards and met I, something. I just, I'm so disappointed by yeah some of the adult reads that get these distinctions that feel so trashy. I tend to think that these distinctions are more or less always political. And so I don't put a lot of stock mm-hmm. into them. Mm-hmm. But I think that at the time that she that she won this award, there was some really credible literature being honored. And so to me, this that was a mark of distinction that was indicative of her age or was a typical of her age. 
Tanya and Sarah, thank you so much for being here this afternoon. This is always lots of fun. (laughs) It is so much fun. So friends, this is always going to be probably the longest episode of the month that we will air. And you might be happy to know that going forward, we've actually retooled how we're going to do things. And most of our episodes now are going to be much shorter. But book clubs and this will always be meaty. So save them for when you have time to go for a walk or something and can just uh, just uh, take it all in in its, <laughs> in its long format. Friends, we are so thrilled that you stuck around to the end and and listened in on this conversation. As always, we will have very robust show notes for you with links to all the things. And we hope that you will join us for our conversation on Dalmatians, which is coming up, and for our conversation on Hideous Strength, which is coming up. And look for more about the Wednesday Wars, because that's coming very soon as well. So Tanya and Sarah, We thank you for your friendship and we thank you for this wonderful chat each month. It's wonderful to have accountability and to have intelligent discourse about these books that we love so much. So until next time, friends.